I am psyched about this book. I can't lie. I'm really enjoying it. Why are you laughing so hard? Just starting off with jock jams. I'm imagining like our like cutesy little like let's come welcome to our tea party. Actually, I kind of forgot it was jock jams. I was thinking of Space Jam. Well, yeah. I was picturing cartoon characters. Well, that's what we all picture. That's my whole brain the whole time. Um, it's just a chorus of Muppets up here. Welcome, everyone, to the Ribbon Book Club, <laughs> uh, a Dear America podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Jen Voss, and... Uh, I'm your Muppet coordinator, Kate Reed. Yes, our coordinator of Muppets. Uh, welcome back to... We're, this is our fourth episode. We're starting on a brand new book. Book yeah. two. And I kind of love this book. Yeah. I was, I was thinking this is, this book I specifically remember reading. Um, I I remember reading the first book, but I don't, I didn't remember like any of the plot besides like, obviously they are on the Right, they were at Valley (laughs) Forge. Well, but this one, I was like, oh, I have vague memories of like, you know, there's a, they have a baby brother, there's like multiple sisters, they like, they're trying to, you know, find husbands. Right. <laughs> At the Can age. I just start, like, it, it starts off with the misery on page one. Ooh, yes. Like, that was actually an interesting, I, I wrote a whole page oh, about this. Let uh, me hear. Yeah, just like a very different style, immediate, well, okay, let's, 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 hang on take a pause oh, yeah. what we're doing is we're discussing <laughs> let's actually talk about introduce the book right right, right 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 might be important um, might be crucial uh, we are reading the winter of red snow the revolutionary war diary of abigail jane stewart uh so this one takes place in valley forge pennsylvania uh the winter of 1777 to 78 a very important year in valley forge um and this one is written by christiana gregory which I, if you know, um, we talked about this in the la- with the first book we read. The first book we read was um, the copy that we had was the republication that came out later. Yes, and that one had the author's name right on the front. Where this one we have, you have to search for it. We have ye olde uh, original OG edition. Can I with- just say big ups to eBay? Yes, uh, thank you. I eBay. was able to pick these books up. Uh, exactly with the ribbon oh, and the deckled, the deckled edge. edge. Some of them have a little foxing, which is when the pages start to turn yellow. Yeah, and like I recognize that these books are only twenty years old, and that that yellow might be like questionable household sub- substances. Ew. I don't care. <laughs> I think it's sexy, and I love it. Uh, it's it definitely has much more of a vibe. Yeah, it's got character. It's got character. The portrait on the front is like an actual historical. Yes, like oil portra- portrait instead of the yassified <laughs> mem that we had on the previous. Right, book. mem who had eyebrows. Like, I, like she had access to YouTube makeup right. tutorials. <laughs> Abigail here is she's not wearing a stitch of makeup she's just a natural beauty that's right <laughs> no and, uh, and as all oil portraits in the proper past look she looks incredibly sad yes yeah, she looks sad she looks like she was painted by copley i want to want to know if they have yeah they do say at the end of the book what the portrait is yeah because they do use real portraits for they these, do yeah always, they rip them right off of the oils mm-hmm Anyway, um, yeah, I can't find who painted it. But um, yeah, so I really love the design of these books, but it does actually hide the real author more than the reprints do, yes. which is interesting. 
Um, so anyway, that's who it's by. Uh, it was published second. I don't know what date. It doesn't. It also yeah. It has all the publication info in the back actually. Uh, copyright 1996. So that's where we A are. A good year. <laughs> yeah. Uh, follow. Uh, succeeded only by 1997. Yeah, uh, which is the year Titanic came out. Which is the year Titanic. Best year of my life. Best year. I went and saw Titanic three times in theaters. It was the most I had ever seen a movie uh, in a theater. <laughs> I wasn't allowed to see it in theaters, but I was allowed to watch it on VHS the my moment My father it. kept taking it to me, and I did eventually figure that one out. Mm. But I was so grateful to be in the acting presence of Kate Winslet and Leonardo DiCaprio yeah. and Victor Garber that I did not care. Legends. Anyway, we're not talking about that movie or book. Oh, that's... but guess what we're talking about in two books? That's, Sorry. That's up in... No, it's not. Oh, yeah. Is it? Yeah. <gasps> Voyage on the Great Titanic is oh, book four, no. baby. No, it's not. Is it? Uh, according to the order that I found online. Okay. We'll, dis- we'll discuss Listen, it. I'm prepared to be wrong. We'll discuss And I'm going to l- make a little caveat here on this recording <laughs> that uh, I could be wrong. Sometimes I'm not right about stuff. Anyway, we'll figure it out. Uh, I have... Yeah. So we are... But what is different about the writing of this book from the previous book is that this one starts in media res. <sighs> I love that fan- Fancy term for it means starting in the middle of action. Um, in, instead of, hello, my name is right. Mem, we have, what is it? It is almost sunrise, and we are still waiting for Papa to return. Papa! <laughs> what is taking him so long? Little Sally keeps running out onto the cold step to see down the road, but there is only fog. So, but this does create an interesting question about like when is she writing this because it's like kind of switches between past and present tense we can't figure out like what when like feels to me like laura ingalls wilder like mm -hmm. it's a recollection that is written more artistically later yes yeah yeah because it says we have been up since half past four this morning and mine apron is dirty from trying to keep the fire going. Mama's cries are what woke us. So we find out that uh, their mom is in labor with their fourth child. Yeah, because we've got uh, eldest sister Elizabeth, Elizabeth. age 15. Mm-hmm. Then comes our girl Abigail. Abby. Uh, then little Sally is six. Mm-hmm. And here comes the baby baby who is baby aged mm-hmm. and, and papa has been sent out to fetch mrs hughes who is the local midwife or just like healer? she's certainly a lady of standing as well mm-hmm. i don't think midwifery was her only yeah. occupation i think it's just something she had a little medical and herbal knowledge mm-hmm. uh and every time there's an injury uh for example later in the book mrs hughes is called back to the house uh when sally is uh, low-key accidentally kicked into the fire by our author, Abigail. Yeah. <laughs> like I was like, you just kicked your sister into a fire. Anyway, her, she was mostly fine. Her leg got burned, uh, but it didn't blister. So, so Mrs. Hughes uh, is also called to the house when there's other injuries. Yes. Uh, she's the one who they are you know, rushing to get in the wake of, or not wake, uh, in the presence of this baby. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is a split second where we think Elizabeth, the 15 year old mm. is going to have to deliver her mother's Listen, child. You got to grow up real fast at this time. <laughs> well, you know, that's something we come across a lot. Uh-huh. Um, at age 15, you know, she is taking care of the children. She's a second hand to her mother. 
Uh, and then on top of that, she's preparing to be wed. They talk oh, yeah. about like early in this book, they, she starts talking about making a bounty coat. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's 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 get let's oh, let's stay. I'm sorry. I yeah, got, you're I like let's monologue. on page seventy. You're Let like, me no. tell you everything that's ever happened in <laughs> this book. We're on page one. Um, yeah, so they're they're waiting for for Papa to come back, <laughs> and sorry, she's, it's just it's gonna make me laugh every time. I it, that's why I say it. Um, yeah, and you're like a tiny German boy in shorts. Papa, Papa, Mama. Um. All right, but Mama, when you say Mama like that, it's, you sound like a chicken. Mama, Mama, yeah. Mama. Uh, so Mrs. Hughes does arrive, and because can you imagine? Can you imagine? Uh, she was just in time. Mama screamed again, and in an instant later, there came a sharp little cry. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, I really hate birthing stories. Go ahead, as you were. <laughs> Ye have a son, said Mrs. Hughes. Uh, and then, of course, Papa's very excited about that. And he runs outside to throw his hat into the sky. Um, he is happy and wants all of Pennsylvania to know he has a son. And, yeah. And then I wrote, I swear if Mama dies, I'm going to be mad. <laughs> <laughs> but she doesn't. She makes it through. Yeah. Uh, she's hale and hearty yeah. afterwards. Yeah. So, but, like... These mm-hmm. Dear America books, they set you up for the misery early on. Like, they yeah. are not going to shy away from the fact that life was very rough. Yeah. Um, and I love that as a kid because I... <laughs> right. You were looking for that real, real. Listen, I don't want any of this happily ever after stuff. I want to get in there in the muck, in the gore, and find out that life is sh- brutish, brutish and short. <laughs> I was more of a fairy tale child, but good for you. Yes. Um, yes. It actually says a little bit about who we are now as people. Yeah. yeah. I'm a little, Jen's a little like, uh, where do we stick the blade? Right between the ribs. And I'm like, hi, would you like some cotton candy? <laughs> yeah, that does kind of sum us up. Um, so yeah, we find out in the next entry that um, that all they've had previous baby brothers and they've none of them have made it through the first winter. You know. So, uh, Mama has birthed nine children, three oh my girls, God. that's us, and now six boys. We have not had a brother live through his first winter. She's is... basically been pregnant for 15 years. Yeah. No birth control back then. I mean, actually, that's not true. There were birth well, control practices. You're right. Uh, and no medical birth control. Right. There were various miracles, ways and means you could you could uh, naturally uh, prevent pregnancies. There were also uh, yieldy condoms, but uh, <laughs> you know, and also yieldy diaphragms, Ooh, uh, barrier methods like that, uh, sometimes made out of clay. Uh-huh. That sounds messy. It seemed okay. Well, uh, hard play. Like it was like a piece oh. of pottery, but still not great and super not effective and probably not very comfortable. And imagine no. if that broke. That sounds oh okay okay. We're gonna move on. That sounds horrifying. Um, anyway, so it, it doesn't seem like they're using much of those methods because uh, right. they've had several. Children. Their mother's been breeding for fifteen years. Yes. Yes. Um, yep. Oh. Yep. Yep. 
Um, so in the next entry, she starts talking about her life at school. Mm-hmm. And right away, my eyebrows shot up. I'm like, why are you people in school? You should be homeschooled. What's going on? Oh. Uh, but uh, a couple pages later, she discusses how her school was formed by the Quakers and the Quaker neighbors allowed the children to go. And I literally write, aha, the school. Thus, school. At that point in time, education for children was a Quaker value, but it wasn't necessarily a value for other people. Now, Mm -hmm. it's important to note at the beginning of this book that the family we are discussing, our Abigail, uh, she comes from a Baptist family, and Mm -hmm. that changes their point of view in the war, whereas Quakers have a very different relationship with George Washington. Very anti war then and now. And yeah, they did not generally. Uh, do anything to support either side yeah um yeah because that's their thing uh but they do finally name the the baby too they 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 were yeah it says our baby was five days old but we had not named him uh because i don't want to get too attached um <sighs> but he makes it through and they give him a name john edward stewart it's a very good name it's a fine scottish it's a name fine name Yes. Clearly named for his father. Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. Um, doop, 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 doop. And they're going to school. One of the things that we see here in that same entry is that other people are showing up to welcome the baby, mm-hmm. uh, including a Mr. Walker, who is a carpenter. He made the baby a cradle. This community is so interwoven mm-hmm. that they, they know what's happening behind closed doors. Um, I... I love my neighbors. We live on a pretty close-knit street. Uh, I could not tell you what most of their husbands do, mm-hmm. and I could not tell you, like, what the problems they are facing in their lives or, like, the challenges that are going on, by and large, uh, because we live very privately now, whereas these people lived much more public, much more integrated lives. Mm-hmm. Integrated meaning together and, like, kind of on top of each other. Yeah. Um and then on page six, we have an entry from December 7th, um, where Papa says that he's happy we are prepared for the winter, which I also, I wrote, feels like foreshadowing. Yeah. Big <laughs> foreshadowing. Uh, I'm so glad that we have everything that we need for our family for the winter. <laughs> Yikes. Yes. Uh, barn is stacked high with hay and our animals have cozy beds. Uh, the cellar is full of potatoes, onions, carrots, and turnips, salted beef, and barrels of cider. We have enough dried cranberries to sell at market. To sell for money at yeah. market. Um, yeah. And so, the, and they, after church, they stop, you know, around the neighbors, you know, homes, and they check on them. And they say, Mrs. Fitzgerald, um, her, her, uh, her latch string is always out, so we shall feel welcome, but I know not why she wants visitors. Do you this know was... what that means, the latch string part? No. So if your latch string was on the inside, you were tying your door shut and oh, nobody okay. could come visit you. Yeah. But if your latch string was on the outside, somebody could pull it and lift the latch and bring themselves inside. Interesting. It's sort of like, um, did you have a friend growing up who... You knew that friend well enough that you could just walk into their house without knocking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like that. Yeah. Um, so I just, I thought that was a really interesting. Um, this author utilizes a lot of in knowledge that eventually leads to mm-hmm. some phraseology, like 
drummed out. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, drummed out is something that comes up. Uh, she also mentions uh, babies in bathwater here mm-hmm. uh, because this family has a singular bathing night. Bathing, yeah. bathing yeah. comes up a lot. Yeah, <laughs> which is really important. Hygiene is so important. Mm-hmm. And this family has the resources for established hygiene. And that's that keeps their family healthy. Also, this is an interesting thing that I just thought of. It is in direct contrast to the previous book where Mem was afraid of water. Yes. And never bathed in water. Look and now, how far we've come. You see in, you know, 150 years, because that's how long that's been. Like, yeah. we think of the past as like, oh, you know, it's all old. But it's been 150 years since since the Mayflower. And right. so now you see white people <laughs> are not afraid to bathe in water. Not anymore. Yes. A lot of that was actually learned from the indigenous neighbors that they lived yeah, with. Because they came Literally, to North America and were like, why are these Native Americans, you know, that's our term, uh, why are they so clean and good sm- and smelling so good? You know what else it was? What? Native Americans were better hunters because the animals couldn't smell them. <sighs> So the decreased food supplies mm-hmm. that white settlers were dealing with, they were like, I don't know, the turkey always runs away. He always seems to know I'm there. Yeah. Dude, take a bath. Take a That's bath. That's basically what the Native Native mm-hmm. Americans taught white settlers how to bathe. Yeah. Even snow baths. Ooh. In the winter. Yeah. Uh, a snow bath is something that, so that the Iroquois used. They also taught them how to make snow goggles. Uh-huh. Iroquois make snow goggles, uh, sometimes out of bone, really far up north. Yeah. I've seen that with Alaskan Yeah, 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 yeah. Same. They have like a little slit through. Same policy, same Ooh, thing. Uh, those ideas traded throughout the Americas uh-huh. in snowy regions. Fun. Sorry, I get really excited. Yeah, this is this whole podcast i feel like it's just like us and here's a different historical tangent we can go <laughs> let me find six ways to relate this to the Excuse fur trade wildly off topic um <laughs> but it's all somehow relevant i don't know so what we've established here is that this community valley forge uh <laughs> It's a blend of Quakers and non-Quakers. Uh-huh. It's 18 miles from Philly, which is yeah. um, fairly close, really. 18 miles is mm-hmm. doable for a horse in a day. Yeah. Uh, but uh, what's important to remember is that roads in these times were mm-hmm. almost strictly dirt. Yeah. Um, until you got into a city where you could have cobblestones or mm-hmm. brick sometimes, mm-hmm. um, the rest of everything was yeah dirt mud. road dirt mud and road. mud is like a, an alternate title for this book could I be think snow more... mud and blood because Ooh. that is really what's going on <laughs> i love that uh yeah but i i think what, what i want to get at with mrs fitzgerald is um we we kind of see a little bit of how the war is already affecting this community even before any soldiers step foot in because um, mrs fitzgerald's husband is away um, he was taken as a prisoner of war at the Battle of Saratoga two months ago, and no one knows what the Redcoats have done with him. Um, and so uh, Abigail's confused about why she would want anyone to visit because, and this is, you know, the judgy part of Abigail, because she has uh, like eight, oh yeah, eight boys. She has eight sons. Once again, yikes. Yikes. And they are lazy, quarrelsome and they don't help her around the house. They were throwing mud at each other as we were getting ready to leave. Um, and that bully Tom threw some at my shoes. Um, yeah, so she's talking about, like, 
why would this woman want anyone to come visit her? Because her sons are all rowdy and messy and rude. And her, and house, is her house is dirty and a mess. And I just thought it's because boys aren't uh, socialized to help out around the house. Yeah. Well, and I think that's still true today, but it was especially true in the 1770s. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's true in the sense, I mean, it's, they were taught to help in the sense of like the, you know, farm work or yeah, carpentry or like... Work. Yes, men's Barn work, work. F- was uh, outside, yeah. um, and women's work was inside. And so the house is untidy because it's only one woman there and her taking care of nine people. Yeah, and these houses were not large. Yeah, right. No. Like these are not large abodes. No, no. We're standing in, or we're sitting in a space that's about a thousand square feet. Mm-hmm. I think probably the Fitzgerald's house would have fit in this space twice. Oh yeah. I can't imagine. But then I'm very spoiled and I love living in the future. Yes. Yes, we do. Um, so, nah, da, 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 da. so, yeah, they go to their house and she's like, ugh, this sucks. Uh, and then they go home. Um, we and, see Abigail be judgy a couple times. Oh, yeah. She's, she's very observant and astute, mm-hmm. but she doesn't have a whole lot of polish yet. But she's 11, as we find out. She's 11. Yes. She's she's trying her best. Um, what 11-year-old is not like, That was another thing I noticed honest. was, I think, when I was reading these, I, in my head, thought that these uh, main characters were older than they are. <laughs> They're pretty young. I'm older. Oh, so that's you, interesting. Like, I just, when you were a kid, you thought they were, like, teenagers? I had this perception that they were, like, I guess not... Well, I mean, it was back in the day when you're like, Ariel's 16. She's almost a, a woman, you know? Right. Like, <laughs> I'm 16. I'm, I'm not, not a child, child anymore. <laughs> yeah. 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 So 16 was like way too old. But like, you know, 11, that seemed like, okay, you're you're like out there. You're like ready to do stuff. <laughs> well, I mean, she's practically ready to become a wife and mother yes. in this land. Yeah. Um, but okay. So we learned that the British have uh, retreated to Philadelphia, our capital city, and they plan to winter there. We are worried sick. Uh, Auntie Hanny? Uh, yeah. Yes. That's a rough one. Uh, lives there, and so do Papa's three brothers and our little cousins. I said we must go there right away to rescue them, but Papa said 18 miles is too much mud for a small wagon. So, yeah, we, we learned that the British are nearby, and... So one of the reasons that Valley Forge was occupied, really, Mm -hmm. by Washington this winter is that um, the Continental Congress, Mm -hmm. which had been operating in Philadelphia, was forced to flee the city when the Redcoats took it. Uh, And they mostly went over, uh, went, not over, um, this direction, west, Mm. uh, to places like Lancaster and York. Yes. So Washington needed to put his troops between the Congress for their safety and the Redcoats. He Mm -hmm. needed to be close enough to see the Redcoats, but he also needed important supplies. Yeah. Um, This river, the Schuylkill. It's pronounced Schuylkill. It's very Dutch word. I had to research that. Yes. Oh, here's a fun fact. I know a lot about Valley Forge because I spent a summer uh, researching 
and writing scripts for Valley Forge National Park. <laughs> and because uh, I was interning at a place that was hired to make their new intro video at the visitor center. Which I watched yesterday. Which you watched. And it was quite good. And did you uh, see me in it? Eventually, once you showed once me where I you show- were. I'm in it. For like a split second. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so if anybody wants to see Jen, 10 to the sick. Yes. Do you want me to see me sponge a, a poor sick man's brow in a in a set of stays the the makeup that they did on the guy who had smallpox yeah it was good Ooh, turned my yeah. stomach yeah they made him look Ooh, real doggy. bad he was fine don't worry yeah yeah no i <laughs> i recognized that with my 2023 eyes uh but at the same time i was like Bleh. i will pass my compliments on to the makeup people please do i don't know them but um <laughs> but yeah it was a very fun summer and i will i will come in with tidbits um so anyways valley forge was a strategic location it was a, yeah it was a good strategic lo- location located on the Schuylkill river <laughs> did you know uh laura lenny uh narrated that i film? i texted you at the end of the document i was like oh narrated by laura lenny dang what a get what a get that's that's big yeah it's very big i had nothing to do with that well i know. wish i did but still yeah. you got to work on a project with laura lenny basically yeah. uh so you're better than everybody that i, know. I was also there i was in pittsburgh is where this company was based um and they were we were i was there the same summer that um what's the what's that de- creepy serial killer detective show mindhunter oh okay they were filming season two that summer and they were filming With like Groff? yeah With jonathan Groff. yeah I love and him. so uh our director of photography who worked on the valley forge project <gasps> also worked on mindhunter see again this is why you're better than everybody i've ever met <laughs> i was to do these cool things i was filmed by the same guy that filmed jonathan groff listen <laughs> listen i get, do you want one of my crowns do you want to go inside and get no, one I was just, uh... <laughs> okay that's all that's that's my moment of bragging uh just in case you've never met me uh i have a weird collection of tiaras i'm a grown adult woman who occasionally buys herself a tiara everyone should own a tiara yeah they're very useful and they look good on everybody yes. headwear's important and they make you feel good speaking of feeling good <laughs> Uh, we've got a fun little segue here for the term bounty coat. Oh, yes. Okay. Now, I mentioned it briefly before, but um, Elizabeth is going to be making a bounty coat. Because, as we hear, because, yeah, they, they say, like, Beyond us just saying, oh, yeah, Val- they, the soldiers came to Valley Forge. It's in the book. So they yeah, say, yeah, yeah. The this is not us speculating. We're talking book here. Yes. Um, so the term bounty... I eventually cottoned on to mm-hmm. it doesn't mean like a wonderful fullness. This is a husband catching coat. A bounty it's like a bounty hunter. Bounty hunter, bounty coat. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She is throwing her line in the water. Yes. Yes. Uh, so we it's hear... a coat that would keep somebody warm and it has her name sewed on the inside yes. lapel. How romantic. Yes. Yeah. It's uh, So it says, you know, General George Washington and his troops are camped just a few miles away at Gulf Mills within the week. They will march here to Valley Forge to make winter quarters. This is to keep the British from capturing more Pennsylvania. Um, so, you know, they hear that that means thousands of soldiers in our front yard for the whole winter um <laughs> mama excused herself from the table and went over to the window she stared out at the bare fields what shall the army do for food she asked where shall they sleep mama saw the writing on the wall oh yeah the adults really 
understand what a huge deal this is. The girls mm-hmm. are super excited and they can't wait to see the soldiers marching by. But woof, this is mm-hmm. this is scary. This is an intimidating thing. Yeah. Uh, for but the, the kids are excited. Right. Uh, you know, Elizabeth uh, whispered a secret, made me promise not to tell. She plans to sew a coat and on the inside collar embroider her name, Elizabeth Ann Stewart. So that the soldier who is who wears it will remember her and come see her. Many girls have become brides this way, she said. It's giving Lydia Bennett drop a handkerchief. Yes. And they'll pick it up. And yes. then you'll be introduced. That is <laughs> Officers. I'm so disappointed that that didn't occur to me because Officers. that is so correct. <laughs> uh, so yeah. uh even though she's fifteen and pretty, she's discussing her sister. Mm-hmm. And just like marrying at 15 just flummoxes me and i i wrote a little note here that war does encourage young marriage a lot of millennials um following september 11th Uh, heading in you know 2006 heading into the iraq war in full yeah got married my cousin nick is a marine Mm -hmm. um he married his senior year high school sweetheart uh-huh. Uh, four months after he went to basic training. Yeah. They're still together. They have two kids and they're really happy. Oh, that's good. Uh, they're the only ones, uh, they're the only ones who made it of all my, like, I, I, there uh-huh. was somebody who got proposed to at prom no. at my school. Cause that's, it was such, everybody was like a lot mm-hmm. of, I went, I went to a poor school. A lot of our mm-hmm. guys were gearing up to go to war. Yeah. And when everybody were you graduating? kind of edgy. You graduate? Uh, 2006. Okay. Yeah. That's, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and so... Back in the day. Right? <laughs> Vintage. Uh, and there was a lot of young marriages in my high school class, uh, mm-hmm. and almost none of them survived. Yeah. Uh, friends, I, I... If you know somebody with a young marriage, I'm not trying to poo-poo their lifestyle. I know several people from my high school who got married to their high school sweethearts and are still together. So yeah. good for them. Um, doesn't always work. Doesn't, doesn't usually work. I'm just saying that I'm 32, unmarried, and I have been with my partner for 10 years. Uh, love him to death. I could not imagine marrying him even just out of college when we were together. Do you even remember the person you were at 15? Yeah. Should that person be running no, a household? Absolutely not. Right. I shouldn't have been in charge of an ant colony at 15. <laughs> I knew I was raising two children our as brains a nanny. Don't fully but... form until the age of 25. Yeah. Um so yes. Um it's not not advised, but I understand the instinct when people uh, were afraid. People are dying. Um, you, with it today, still, it's like if you want to, you know, make a commitment to someone who you want to be with, and you're wanting to go into the military. If you get married, that person, your spouse, gets benefits. So, yes. like, there's a lot of practical reasons to get married. Absolutely, young when you're at war. <laughs> it's horrific we should not be sending children to war anyway we shouldn't be Ooh, sending that's some, i wrote war. yuck on a lot of pages about that yeah yeah there's yeah. some very young people in this mind you america was a young country mm-hmm. who else was available well there were adults okay but <laughs> philadelphia was the fourth largest city i believe yeah and it was a raging metropolis of thirty thousand. yeah there's thirty thousand people in my suburb yeah Right, like in that's, in the suburb that I live in, has a population of twenty six thousand. It's about people. the size of my hometown. Yeah, 
And that was the fourth largest city in America at that time in mm-hmm. the 1770s. Yeah, not a lot of people. Um, well, not a lot of census people. Well, yeah, <laughs> that's a whole other thing. That's that a kettle of fish we're going to we'll get into. We'll discuss later. Uh, it also comes up in The Patriot. <laughs> Classic Rev War movie. I think, okay, I was thinking about this. Um, I loved this book, I think partially because I just grew up loving this time period. Sure. The fashion is incredible. Yes. Uh, I still, still love the fashion of this era. I would wear these outfits every day if i could i look so cute in a mop cap you have no idea i look really cute in a set of stays and they're comfortable and good for your back i agree Mm -hmm. i love a not quite not the kind of corset you would get in the you know 1890s yeah but a set of stays uh, uh, a beautiful conical set of stays. Sit upright. Yeah. Put a little teacup on your chest. Yeah. Good to go. I love it. You can just like knock on your stomach like yeah. a like a like a door, like the door of a church. Yeah. A it's church so mouse. stiff. You're just yeah. in there. Sorry. Uh, uh, this is a side <laughs> note to people who have outcroppings. Uh, stays are your friend. Stays are your friend. The modern stay. Yiddies. Ooh. I was shopping for yiddies recently because i want to get i want to get a pair i feel like hello shapewear that's what lizzo's about okay okay we're doing this we're getting into this oh right now okay clothes the way they used to be yes was to you would have your clothing create this the fashionable silhouette yeah that's what stays were that's what corsets were not everyone tight lace corsets crinolines crinolines I all love that stuff crinoline. you used architectural clothing yes. to create what you wanted to look like as a woman yeah. underneath it doesn't matter what your body looks like it, it is not perceived <laughs> now now oh yes we're so liberated so liberated that we don't have to wear corsets Ugh, terrible terrible corsets Except now our bodies have to be perfect because there's no external architecture to create your body into the shape it needs to be. Also, let's talk about what the perfect body is and who established that. Well, because it's an inherently racist idea. Mm -hmm. My body is very fat Mm -hmm. um, and fat phobia is so rampant in our society that I just had to maim one of my perfectly good internal organs in order to lose enough weight to get a life-saving kidney. Now, my fat body was not worthy of that kidney, but once I am under a certain BMI, well, then it's okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's messed up. It's so messed up. And it was established by racist... colonizers mm-hmm. who were trying to find ways to other mm-hmm. people of color mm-hmm. and you know people who were biracial yeah uh so i get real hot about it yeah i get real spicy about get real these. spicy about because like people have like eurocentric beauty standards are are just that they're eurocentric i was just learning about like uh polynesian and like samoan like body types yeah. and how they're just like built different like they're they're just built to be bigger and taller and like it's just a different kind of shape of human and there's nothing inherently wrong with that it's a different beautiful person i watched um the uh luau Mm -hmm. uh dance (gasps) 
Those come up all the time on my TikToks. Mine too. I love them. Sorry, I didn't mean to yell in my microphone. <laughs> I got really excited again. Um, and I the, I watched this woman who was drumming and singing yes, for this troupe of dancers. And her body looked like my body. Mm-hmm. And they were holding her up as this ideal, this, mm-hmm. this leadership woman. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't know. Like, if I was asked to do that, I don't mm-hmm. know if I'd be comfortable because I know my body would be heavily judged. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so anyway, yes, you're point that um having architecture in the clothing from this time period really helped you know not only the physical body there mm-hmm. were layers for warmth there mm-hmm. were layers pockets. to keep there were clean. pockets well, i love a pocket <laughs> um so so on and so forth all great things uh and these bounty coats yes. um the bounty <laughs> i was like was, where did we come from <laughs> it's fine i have paper with so much i write all throughout my book yeah uh and then i also go through and i summarize my writings onto post-it notes oh perfect so we are i'll find our i'll find where you'll we find were. our place <laughs> oh, i have a note i have underlined that there it was a, a declaration um of independence no um that december 18th was a new tradition for all patriots that's us to give thanks to god for the many blessings he has he has to give in america and i was like is this the first thanksgiving is this the actual first thanksgiving? it's not the actual no. first thanksgiving came during the civil war it was a movement of abraham lincoln well yes the the thanksgiving holiday as we have it today as, as we have it today but there's as we've discussed i think in the previous book there were a day of thanksgiving was like a recurring thing yes so anyway um what i was interested in in that sentence is the term America. Ooh. When did we, because we, you know, we've got loyalists, colonists, and you don't hear people don't describe know. themselves as Americans. Now, you do see yeah. the word America, of course, in the original founding documents. Okay. Um, so obviously the term existed, but I was interested in who was using it and how were they using it mm-hmm. uh, and when. Uh, and then the next day, our soldiers show up, uh, and their appearance the comes with a uh, a drum beat. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so it's it's snowing. Um, Sally wants to go see the soldiers, but Papa says we must stay by our fence. Uh, da, 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 da. So they <laughs> fields were turning white, and the road looked like frosting with chocolate showing through. Twice we went inside to warm ourselves, for the wind cut through our clothes. Finally, through the gray, we saw them. Three officers on horseback led. We ran outside to cheer, but the men were quiet and thin. The sight of them took my breath away. They have no shoes, Elizabeth whispered. Can you imagine that kind of pain? Marching mm-hmm. for 18 miles barefoot in the snow? Mm-hmm. We used to... We had a hot tub. <laughs> and we would jump from the hot tub yeah. into the snow when you oh, would get like too hot. Oh, that's like the most painful stinging. Oh, it's terrible. Um, and so we would all play truth or dare. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, oh, I dare you to run a lap around the house barefoot in the snow. Yeah. And it was painful. It was yeah. actively painful. I cannot imagine. And part of that is, what though, these that people you're are going, going from through. really hot to really cold. And if you do that really fast... That, that will sting. But running a lap around the house? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was just painful. It was yeah. just like ice in your feet. Yeah. Um, but the the sh- whether or not they have shoes is uh, a running theme in this book that right. honestly, if I'm going to be a little critical, 
is a little bit much at times. Where it's like, we get it. We get it. There are no shoes. They don't have any shoes. Well, it it was a fact. Uh, Washington gave, well, via Alexander Hamilton, um, in writing to the Continental Congress, who Mm -hmm. were again away in Lancaster and York, like, hey, you know, like the funds that you promised us haven't arrived. People mm-hmm. will not work with the money that we have. We cannot yeah. shod and feed these men. Shod mm-hmm. meaning shoe. Uh, but I love this quote. For many hours, we watched the soldiers march single file into our valley. Hundreds and hundreds were barefoot, the icy mud cutting their feet. Some had rags wrapped around their legs because they had no trousers. No just, trousers. Imagine. I just wrote, just Donald ducking it. <laughs> Straight Winnie the Pooh up in here. <laughs> uh, if I can get serious for just half a second, my note that I wrote is it reminds me of the soldiers in Ukraine. Mm. So right now, the largest war uh, in the that Europe has faced since World War II is being raged in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a great 501c3 to donate to if you're interested. It's called United Help Ukraine. It's a U.S. 501c3. Their purpose is to save the lives of Ukrainian defenders, uh, provide help to wounded warriors, as well as help to the families uh, of the warriors who are wounded and killed, um, and help those internationally displaced refugees. And again, that is United Help Ukraine, uh, a U.S. 501c3. You can donate via Facebook if you're interested. Okay. Sorry, that's my little pitch. Okay, it's the, just a little PSA. The the Reed family's current uh, foundation, like where we're all donating, we like pick a thing for everybody's birthday. And my oh. uncle Bill picked that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, they apparently are working closely with Doctors Without Borders. Okay, cool. Sorry, a little PSA. Yeah, no, I love it. Um, but yeah, they have they're they're trudging through the snow and the snow is cutting their feet and that's where we get the winter of red snow. Yes. Title callback. So there's there's a lot of that kind of imagery throughout this book. We actually get blood the phrase there's blood in the snow mm-hmm. multiple there's, times throughout yeah. the book. Yeah. yeah. Uh I will say that while I found this book very engaging Oftentimes, there are some themes the author author lays on with a trowel. Like, oh. it is thick. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's oatmeal thick. Oatmeal thick. And I don't know if that's, like, just to really drive it home for a younger age group or if it's, like, okay, come on. We get it. Like, <laughs> I don't know. And unfortunately, I don't know a child to discuss it with. And Gambit Chime in. Gambit doesn't read. So Children listening to this, <laughs> write in. Um uh, but we do meet, uh, we see uh, George Washington for the first time. Um, yeah, the we saw when we saw the horseman riding back and forth among the men, we knew him to be the commander in chief, George Washington. His cape fell below his saddle, and his tricorn was white from snow. I shall remember him always. He called continually to his soldiers words of encouragement, and he had a most dignified bearing. This is something Washington did a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, he actually reverses um, at the Battle of Monmouth the following year. Uh-huh. Uh, when... George Lee. Uh, <laughs> Are you just like quoting Hamilton a little to bit. yourself? <laughs> so one of the first anecdotes in the side book that I read, which is called Valley Forge by Bob Drury and Tom Calvin, mm-hmm. or Clavin, Tom Clavin. Clavin. Uh, they describe 
the Battle of Monmouth and how George Lee got intimidated and called a retreat for his soldiers. Mm -hmm. And George Washington saw these men coming back into the camp and he's like, what is going on? Get out there, men, and fight. And he runs through these battle lines, runs his horse back and forth, bringing these men back out to the front. It's like the Patriots. And he's actually able to reverse what would have been a retreat and a yeah. loss at the Battle of Bonn with with a win. Yeah, I mean, and that's like what from what I've studied of of that war, a huge difference in the early days uh, between the British Army and the Continental Army was that the training of the British Army to be professional, be a trained professional army, and just you know keep ranks and you know, just keep going and advancing. Maintain that efficiency. Mm -hmm. That's going to win every time. Uh, This is something I've learned from from my partner, David, who uh, is a huge fan of tactical war map games. (laughs) He plays these, like, battle simulator games nonstop, and sometimes he tells me all about them. And uh, and he's always going on about, like, it's just, you know, you're just trying to keep your line together, and, like, if you can just keep morale up and keep your your troop from breaking and and retreating, like, that's, like, 90% of it. Yeah. So I mean, if you can just keep your guys going. Yeah. Well, this is where we start to see that Washington mythos. Oh, yes. Uh, This is something that I... I'm critical of the author, mm-hmm. um, and I suppose I am critical of George Washington himself. Um, yeah. I think George Washington, one of the things that if we're reading these original historic documents, everybody describes Washington as kind of vaguely like superstar. Like he's tall yeah. and he's handsome and he's well-spoken and he's mm-hmm. kind and he's yeah. polite. Um and he's a man of God, uh, forever how much importance that carries. And it, the author takes those facts, those mm-hmm. writings, and if we are to believe our contemporary writers, which I think is something that we owe them, mm-hmm. to believe what they put on paper, uh, then he was a man to be admired. Mm-hmm. However, <laughs> George Washington was a slaver. Yeah. He owned slaves. George mm-hmm. Washington ran a plantation in Mount Vernon. Mm-hmm. Um, he was also kind of a gold digger, a little bit. I was going to say Mount Vernon was Martha's. She was Martha's. Estate. Yeah, he married good. He married oh, yeah. up. Martha Washington was the richest single woman mm-hmm. in the colonies yep. at that time. She was a widow. And inherited a huge estate. Literally huge. Like, it had huge. so many acres. Like, mm-hmm. 154 acres or and something like that. And she was, like, literally the richest, most eligible woman in the colonies. And she herself is described as fairly pretty as well. Yeah. Although, Austin, they also make it very clear that she's fat. And I appreciate that. Well, she was fat I think there's a couple reasons for that. Um, and this was this was another thing that I kind of harped on in my research when I was, you know, doing that project back in the day. Um, we have to imagine at this time, Martha and George Washington are in their 40s. Yeah. So they're like full adults. Yeah. You know, Washington served. He was an officer in the French Revolution. No, not Revolution. French, French and Indian, Indian War. War slash the... The Seven Years' War, depending yes. on where you're, where you right, are, right? Which side of the battle you're uh, on? <laughs> and he famously lost a huge battle. Uh, really, really whiffed it in that <laughs> in that war. Uh, but 
still was able to recover his reputation. Absolutely. But he's not the old white-haired man that he is when he's president. He's powdered. He does wear powder, but he doesn't go he as does... so far to wear an actual wig. And that's another huge point, is yes. that at this time it was very common for men to outright shave their heads and wear wigs yes and washington did not which was like a huge you know point in his favor was that he had his own hair and it was right. long and he could like but not his own teeth well okay we'll get to that uh <laughs> and so he was like he was legitimately like six one mm-hmm. if that matters <laughs> that's a little i mean joke. now we're speaking to me not to you yeah yeah yeah. you you know i love i love them being you love them tall tall men he Oof. was he cut a very dashing figure he was tall he had his own hair he was very poised he had a lot of charisma um <laughs> a 1770s hottie like a, a solid a nine. certified babe yeah Certified bib. Um, I think he would have been a little too healthy looking for my tastes. Really? Oh yeah, I like him tuberculin. I okay, like him I was like, even without the teeth. But um, oh yeah, listen. I know this is a modern prejudice, but that is a deal breaker for me. <laughs> yeah, you would have had it rough I back would. then. Um, so Oof. and but anyway, um, Martha was also kind of a hottie at that time and there's if you look up young portraits of young martha washington she's like got this fabulous dark hair and like she's beautiful kind of like more like you know she's very beautifully dressed very fashionable um but a lot of people have it in their idea the martha and george washington of the presidency where he is white-haired and she's this like old lady with a little mob cap and she's just like you're everyone's grandmother right um and she's not quite that old yet (laughs) she's she's pretty young here in fact she Mm -hmm. spends uh, a lot of time in this book doing fairly physical work Mm -hmm. um and that was another thing was like even though he was kind of a gold digger they do oh just a little a little i can bit. forgive that i mean he was also fairly well off on his own but yes. not nearly his as much family as... like they still have a family estate in mm-hmm. england where oh. there is a an annual fourth of july celebration of george washington where they keep a bust of him so uh english nobility there is a landed washington estate to this day huh. i don't remember where it is oh, but fine. that exists <laughs> that's fine we're talking about america right um uh, England, but they, but they, but like by all accounts, they did appear to really have a huge amount of affection for each other. Um, in fact, Martha isn't here yet. She, she, it takes her like a month or so to show up. But it seems like her kind of showing up to where the army is camped out for the winter was a fairly common thing because they just didn't like to be apart for that long. Yeah, they. I don't. Okay, so Dan and I are kind of that way. So I'm mean, so am I. Yeah, it's, we're a little gross. And we like to fine. hang out I, I with each it. other. We like again, our partners. Once again, well, okay, but not every couple likes their partner. In fact, I wonder if we were to look at like history. Mm-hmm. Well, especially yeah, when marriage was a little less for yeah affection and right. a little bit more for so this stability. You know, marriage that we've mentioned mm-hmm. could have been a marriage of means. Yes uh has some real genuine affection Mm -hmm. and that's cool i like that however However. once again (laughs) uh i don't believe in having to give respect to a whole lot of slavers or a whole lot of respect and both of them famously owned a lot of people uh george's teeth not made out of wood 
were made out of real teeth. Yeah, taken not from his, his slaves. Own. Yes, <laughs> taken from people that taken he owned. Taken from human beings that he owned. Uh, so, yes, that is a whole kind of touchy subject that I think is not really uh, addressed very well in right. this book. So while the author lays on a lot of Washington mythos quite thick mm-hmm. right away, mm-hmm. um, I have I have notes where we find it. We've got men singing hymns. Uh, Washington will live in his tent until the men have huts. Which still exists. Did you know this? Yes. I have seen it. It yeah. is in the Museum of the American Revolution in Philly, and they put a whole lot of importance on this tent. <laughs> I believe it. Uh, I liked the bed that it had. He had a box that had a fold-up bed, and it mm. like ca- it became like a, it was like a cot. It was I an army love... cot, but it was fancy. Yeah, and I loved that. I love the idea of traveling furniture. You see that a lot with like medieval and like yes. Tudor era, like because uh, you had to go from castle to castle. Furn- yeah, if you're traveling, you just take your bed. Yeah, <laughs> folds up. It's Which great. like I get because you don't know what you're getting in these roadside taverns yeah, no, no, or no, other no. people's houses. Yeah. Get, bring your own stuff. Yeah. So uh-huh. here uh, on December 21st, which brings us to page 15, we better speed up. Yeah. Right. Gone. <laughs> I uh, is the first time that the army makes a direct claim on the resources of the Stuart family. Mm-hmm. George Washington brings a piece of paper. Uh, he does. He he sends a lieutenant to bring it. Um, but it says that everybody who lives within seventy miles of headquarters, which is Valley Forge, is to um, thresh one half of their grain. Mm. And give it to headquarters and uh, by the first day of February and the other half by the first of March. So it seems to me if you're giving half by February and half by March, eventually you won't have anything. Yeah. Uh, now, the military is paying for it, but they're paying in something called scrip, which is paper money backed by the new American Congress. Yeah. Have you ever heard the phrase, not worth the paper it's printed on? Yeah. This script is where that comes from. Yes. Yep. Uh, uh, yeah. Literally, our money wasn't worth as much. And mm-hmm. uh, people were loath to sell resources to the American army because mm-hmm. they knew that they were going to get this paper script back. Yeah. And it wasn't it just wasn't worth and as that's much. A huge, the British pay in British pound coins. Yeah, that's a huge theme in this book. And honestly, I think is one of the really interesting um perspectives you get from reading a book from not a soldier's perspective but from a farm farmer's perspective where you see it's not just about like you they clearly have a lot of sympathy for the soldiers she's constantly going on about those poor soldiers what can we do it's not like they're being selfish right they're doing everything they can i think when the when the army have a family of six yeah when the army marches in abigail just in a like fit of like gallantry just like takes off her cloak and gives it to a soldier and as does father he gives it to a boy playing the fife and drum and and she just has to wear a blanket as a cloak for the rest of the book and really see a cost to this family yeah so you see that like yes the poor soldiers but also like there's a reason why the local farmers don't want to help and it's not because they don't care it's because they it's taking food out of their own mouths and then they can't make any money so it's making them destitute well and we've already seen charity cases in this community we mm-hmm. go to the fitz gibbons fitz, fitz wallace Gerald, fitz gerald fitz something do you know what fitz comes from i don't uh fitz is a name for bastards 
fun. Yes. So Bastard of William, Bastard of Fitzroy Wallace. Fitzroy is Bastard of the King. Well, I'll be danged. Mm-hmm. Yes. And uh, for anyone who doesn't know, a bastard is someone who is a child born out of wedlock. And, and if you don't know what the word wedlock means. It's marriage. Um, yeah. So typically for a for child kids. to receive a last name, it was not an automatic thing. Uh, you would receive the last name of your father if your parents were married. Yeah. But if your father had had a baby before with, he got married or with someone else happened. who he's yeah. not married to um that baby would have a different last name or no last name at all yeah. snow if you will yeah the, this comes up a lot of in the series game of thrones yes um anyway children who are listening to this podcast you're also reading these books so i don't feel that bad right you go <laughs> learn some stuff you gotta learn some things um but yeah that's a fun fact that you can know and tell to people. Yeah. Fitz, so, Fitz is a, is a pre... Prefix. Uh, prefix, thank you. For, yeah. Anyway. Um, so that script paper money is a problem. And it also divides colonists' loyalties yeah. when it comes to whether or not they are supporting the Continental Army. Yeah. Or if they're making nice with the British, as we're going to see. If they're patriots see. or loyalists. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, which the Felicity books don't quite cover that topic. Um, she's Felicity deals with the fact that some of her family are Tories, which is the same yeah. as loyalists to the yeah. king. Uh, Felicity was the only book I ever read because that was my favorite era as well. Yeah. She's um, just she loves her horses. <laughs> she, she did horse the the original horse girl. Yeah. Um, so on the following page, it is now preparing for Christmas, mm-hmm. um, and I love. So I'm very interested in historic cooking. Oh, yeah. And I love, I follow a lot of podcasts about historic or um, YouTube channels about that. I read, I, I sat through a whole Great Courses class uh, where a professor of historic cookery from Yale taught me everything they could. <gasps> That's so cool. It was well worth the twelve ninety nine. Mm. Uh So uh, right away, we start coming across what they are creating for this celebration of Christmas. Now, they are Baptists. They do celebrate Christmas. Mm-hmm. Not every Christian religion does. Yeah. Another um, difference between Abigail and Mam. Mam didn't celebrate yeah, Mam Christmas. didn't do Christmas. So this is my favorite paragraph in the book. <clears throat> I'll tell you why in just a second. God bless my fat heart. <laughs> Mama baked pies. Three mints, four pumpkin, four apple. That is 11 pies for those playing the home game. Oh, that's very good. Uh, They're a family of six. Mm -hmm. However, uh, I did not realize at this point in book, they're going to have a Christmas party. Gotcha. People are coming. So you're like one pie per person? I was... Plus one? Yeah. And I was like, mama, um, yes. (laughs) This is also like, maybe you want to cool it on the pies because things are going to get grim if you yeah. use up all your food now yep this is a this is a beginning of the oregon trail problem <laughs> i see you haven't reached independence hall or uh where you start from liberty hall you haven't reached independence oh, rock and yeah uh, independence mm-hmm. rock things independence are different Missouri. by that point yeah. in the game so anyways um they start making eggnog and i do want to mention um in my interest of historic cookery there's a really famous 
eggnog recipe from George Washington himself. Is it the same recipe? It, uh, she doesn't really describe her recipe, Okay, but I'm going to give you George Washington's because I pulled it up earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can find it in the in Ben Franklin's Almanac. This okay. is from the Old Farmer's Almanac. I think there's other um, notes in, or things in here that indicate that I think the author did a lot of ar- um, archival research in cool. George Washington's papers. That's very cool. Well, this is George Washington's uh, Yes. It's a really good recipe. Okay. My friend makes it every year. Wow. And uh whew. Yeah. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It could peel pe- like it could it could you could use it to soak your gel nails off. Ugh. George Washington was not playing. Mm-hmm. So the recipe is one quart of cream, mm-hmm. one quart of milk, one dozen tablespoons of sugar, mm-hmm. one pint of brandy, which mm-hmm. that's two cups of brandy. That is a lot. That is sixteen shots. Mm-hmm. Uh, half a pint rye whiskey, mm-hmm. half a pint Jamaican rum, quarter pint of sherry. Mix the liquor for first, then separate the yolks and whites of 12 eggs. Add sugar to the beaten yolks. Mix well. Add milk and cream, slowly beating. Beat the whites of eggs until stiff and fold slowly into the mixture. Oh. Let's set in a cool place for several days. Now, I looked up what Elton Brown had to say about this recipe. Uh-huh. He makes it every year as well, which is how my friend got into it. Uh-huh. And uh, he makes it 40 days before Christmas. Wow. And lets it sit in the back, the darkest, coldest back part of his pantry uh, to sit back there and steep, basically. And it becomes incredibly silky and incredibly smooth. It tastes amazing. But, whew, a yeah. little dabble, do ya? Wow, wow, wow. That I mean, honestly, I think that's where she got this recipe because it's it's very close. It's one quart milk, one oh, quart cream, hey. a dozen eggs, uh, t- 12 tablespoons of sugar, one pint brandy, half a pint rye, whiskey, quarter pint rum, quarter pint sherry. Mix, store, buy a cool window in a cellar. Well, now I think I'm she directly sad that it. I Googled it. Yeah. I figured Instead for sure. Instead of just reading it. Right. Yeah. Uh. Well, so the kind of the implication might be eventually that Mem teaches George Washington his Not famous. Abigail. Oh, right. Sorry. Other Different kid. Book. Abigail uh, <laughs> teaches the famous thing. I think I think the uh, I think what it really is, is that uh, there's a lot of recipes left over from George Washington's um, papers or uh records and that's where probably where all of these recipes come from totally fair i know that um thomas jefferson also had a huge interest in culinary arts Mm -hmm. uh he himself never cooked because he once again had very famous slaves george washington didn't cook either did right (laughs) i would i would argue also that is it also mentions martha washington baking a cake and i'm like did she bake it right did she did she (laughs) brings only we we meet her yes so yeah well well let's let's get to that yeah because then there's Christmas I was reading this on Christmas which was very fun oh um, oh but yeah this is this is also the first mention we get of um, <laughs> um person of color Billy Lee yes, yes Billy Lee and I it, have his noted him noted as well yeah it doesn't really explain i think on a later page it mentions like oh he's a, a he's freed a freed man, man. yes mm-hmm. however on the following page i think the author was cognizant of what you and i might be thinking yeah on the following page uh as we're discussing you know all of this you know papa is fiddling and mrs mr adams is playing the tin whistle mm-hmm. um however before prayers reverend curry mm-hmm. told us a 
Well, I don't want to say that word. Yeah. How do I? The old fashioned knots, not. Um... Right. There is a word in this book that is historically accurate that describes it's a not the hard black person it's not the hard er right word, but, let's but it's not, the more i don't like the other one official term that we, we still right. won't say although spanish right. for black spanish for black <laughs> so a black soldier died in his tent this morning mm-hmm. he he was from guilford connecticut surprisingly north mm-hmm. and here i circled this word a lot he belonged to one of the captains and i wrote and yeah. there's the rub and I wrote, yikes. Yeah. Uh, so this this is a slave yeah. serving in the Continental Army. Serving as in, like, made to serve. Right. Like, that's something... <laughs> it's possible that... Because there were, according to the documentary that you created, part in part, yes. I watched, mm-hmm. there were slaves who joined the army in order to gain freedom. Yeah, and that comes up in the movie The Patriot, um, where eventually they put out um, a... How recently did you watch The Patriot? Because I oh. feel like it's within the last two weeks. No, it's not. Oh, Actually, I just have an, an encyclopedic memory of that movie. Jeffrey loves that movie. Listen, Mel Gibson's in it. It's not great. but <laughs> With early Heath Ledger. Heath Ledger. Oh, Heath Ledger. Listen, it was like poison. It was like they bred it them in a lab my for us two. Um, anyway, where were we? So oh, we we're talking no, about slaves serving in the up, Continental Army. This came up because in the Patriot, this theme of of um, enslaved people fighting in the Continental Army to gain their freedom comes up in uh, the Patriot, which was a seminal film in my childhood. Absolutely, uh, where we see this happen, and it's you know given a very saccharine kind of like aren't we great kind of uh tone to it um it's it's deeply horrific like you have to there is no way you can make human chattel slavery great in any no you don't get to be great i'm sorry i'm gonna look at the founding fathers who everybody's like what would the founding fathers want i don't care i don't care i do not care what the founding fathers founding fathers were not infallible um, and you know that because they believed owning people was okay. They, not only they, did they believe owning people was But they was also okay. knew it was wrong. They, yeah. They, they, <laughs> they also they, fully knew it was wrong. There's so many people who... Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. I'm starting to get... We're being called out at that time. It's not like, it's, oh, it was a different time. They didn't know better. They did know better. Right. They just didn't want to stop. It was more financially prudent for them not to care. Yep. Okay. Let's go. Let's return back. <laughs> sorry. We're on page 20. I'm, like, actively we're on mad. page 20. All right. So on the next page, uh-huh. um, as we're coming in, um, oh, wait. We learned that Papa is a cobbler. And so, like, he's going to have an important role that he's going to be trying to create, to make shoes for 12,000 soldiers. Uh and so maybe that's a little bit of a reason why she's so preoccupied with whether or not they have shoes is because she's been like trained her whole life to think about shoes. Yeah, I suppose that's very true. <laughs> I don't know. And and also if you're taking care of people's illnesses and injuries as Elizabeth mm-hmm. was, you'd be aware of how dangerous it is to be walking around barefoot in these conditions. Yeah. Are you going to say on the next page, we have our first mention? Our first mention of the camp followers. Camp followers. There were 300 to 400 women who followed these men to Valley Forge. And they also followed the men earlier than this. (laughs) Yeah. I'm reading a side book, um, again, Valley Forge by Bob Drury and Tom Clavin. 
Let me flip through my pages. Hold, please. I gotta say, this book was very engagingly written. Mm-hmm. Um, it it goes fairly quickly, which is not something you can usually say for something that is strictly non History books, yeah. The, the people in in academia will say, "Ugh, that's popular history," but I yeah. I have been sneered at by before by some. I I was talking to somebody about my love of uh, Bill Bryson. Bill Bryson, mm. and they were like, "I don't read books like that. I Listen, don't read popular history." Okay, and I, it was a kid who was younger than me, and I was just I sort of wanted to be like, "I will wipe the floor with you, child." Are snobs? Um, Academics. I, are I have snobs. We can be snobs. Yeah. Um, I have a couple degrees. In history, and Jen has a I master's, fully, and she's fancy. I fully support popular history because what's what is the point of it's, writing history for only a handful of people to care about? So I had purchased a. I usually read two books mm-hmm. for each book of these. Yeah. Uh, so the second book I read was not popular history. It was yeah. deeply academic. And it was so dry, I could not get three pages into it. I spoke to a couple people who are authorities Mm -hmm. on great books about Valley Forge. And when I told them I was reading that one, they were like, good luck. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, The overwhelming idea was that it was quite dry. Yeah. I think if you, I think being academic does not um, excuse you from having to write well. (laughs) I think that's a very fair criticism. Mm -hmm. So these followers made George Washington a little bit crazy. He Mm -hmm. is critical of them in his writings. Uh, I'm going to give a quick description from this book. Um, One second. Uh, Despite his efforts, he, Washington, Mm. could not prevent the army's camp followers, perhaps 400 women and children. Uh, from uh, they poured into the city behind the troops or wherever the troops were. This was a story from August of 1777, so four mm-hmm. months previous. Uh, and this is a quote from George Washington. When I say end quote, that's where I'm going to stop quoting Washington. So, quote, chattering and yelling in shrills as they went and spitting in the gutters, Oof. end quote. So what Washington is saying there is that these women did not act like the ladies that he was familiar with. George Washington is from an yeah, upper class. He's, he's talking to Martha over here, you know? Yeah, where ladies are quiet and reserved and, and they would see, never spit in public. Yeah, there's a huge difference in, in this book between how the camp followers are written about and how Martha Washington and her friends, the, the yeah. fellow wives of other generals, are written about. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. And in, um, in this book, it's uh, Papa's talking about them, and he says some are wives with children, some are sweethearts, but some just like the excitement. Those are women. Papa could hardly say these words of poor reputation. So this is one of the first times that there is kind of a wink and a nod to older readers mm-hmm. about hussies, hussies, hussies. Women of ill repute. Women of ill repute. These are not professionals, but they are... Not in it for the money, in it for the love of the game. The love of the game. They're in it to... I mean, it's... 
and it's sometimes kind it's husband of, hunting. It's kind of what uh, older sister Elizabeth is doing. Yeah. She's sewing a coat and putting her name in it to catch a husband. And I was discussing this with my husband, Dan, and he yeah. was like, oh, it's 1770s Tinder. <gasps> yeah. Yeah. You I had mean, to go where there were officers. Men <laughs> of quality, right? Like, if yeah. you're... If you're in a community where 30,000 people is the fourth largest yeah, city, imagine, men are sparse. Imagine the, the results you're going to get if you're setting your, your Tinder uh, location to For Valley like four Forge. miles around Valley Forge. <laughs> it's sort of like, bing, 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 bing. <laughs> Hello, boys. You are going to get so many matches. Listen, <laughs> anybody can t- any Yenta can tell you mm-hmm. that often a good marriage is a numbers game just it's, like sales it's a numbers game it's yeah. also just not only the excitement but like the feeling of scarcity of women and also your days are numbered you better live it up right you better you better <laughs> leave a leave an heir and a spare um yeah so there's there is a lot of that we we reference um the author references these things because these women were so really entrepreneurial. Mm-hmm. Um, they are fairly energized go-getters, but what the go-getting is, is a young soldier or even better, an officer. Yeah, uh, Women did not have protection, often the ability to create their own sources of income. Mm. Uh, and so they relied on being married for safety and security. Yeah. And so if you're an unmarried woman around this time who doesn't necessarily have the best family set up to like arrange a, tr- yes. a good match for you, this might be a good a good solution for you to f- just go to camp and just be like, hey, do you need someone to cook for you? Do you need someone to care for the sick? Do you need someone to bring water to soldiers in battle? Like, this is why... A good way to meet they guys. They do legit need women there yeah. for s- these support roles. Um, we would see this in World War II as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of women, you know chose which branch of the army based on which men looked best in uniform there's a lot of naval wives out there who liked that clean-cut navy look hey yeah uh mrs uh carter was one of them she said she liked the way jimmy looked in uniform interesting i know good for her i love them oh jimmy carter um yeah so what what is this (laughs) i like jimmy carter he's a good man he is a good man uh, <laughs> but but there's also practical reasons why Washington wouldn't like them because they're more mouths to feed and they're distracting. They are and, distracting. Yeah. If your guy's supposed to be, you know, sentry guarding something, yeah, you don't. And you've want... got him whispering sweet nothing. Nothing's over Johnny mm-hmm. cakes. Yeah. Oh, and we'll see other reasons why women uh, moving in and out of camps is uh, not a great idea. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so, yeah, there's a lot of women there. Uh, Ooh, and then on the next page, on December 31st, we find the passage that made me the most angry. I bet. (laughs) Speaking of laying it on thick, I even wrote woof, woof, laying it on thick in the book. Yeah. So here we get uh, a classic tale, a classic myth that comes from this encampment that... So I'm sure you've all seen um, some kind of illustration depicting 
uh, George Washington kneeling in the bathed snow, in like this holy light in 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 the woods, kneeling in prayer. Um, there's various versions of it, but yeah, it comes. Um, it's all based on something that was made up. Uh, so yeah, she's. It, this is this is written from Abigail's perspective. It, it's she's. Uh, they were, you know, playing in the the snow, the frozen river. Um, she, we went on purpose to the bend near headquarters, hoping to see some soldiers up close. In some places, the river is clear as window, and I looked down to see fish, slow and silent. Elizabeth and I wandered into the woods to gather pine cones for kindling. As we were filling our aprons, we heard a voice. We stopped to listen. Ahead, at the edge of a clearing, was a gray horse with a fine saddle on its back. There beside it was an officer kneeling in the snow, his head bowed, his hands folded in prayer, his breath made frost in the cold air. Elizabeth whispered, "'That doth look like General Washington.' Yes, I said. It was the same man we'd seen on the road the day the soldiers marched into Valley Forge. Not wanting to disturb him, we crept away. I felt safer, knowing the commander-in-chief of our army was a man of prayer. So this this story <laughs> that a lot of people uh, tell about our man, George Washington, uh, was made up a full century after... Victorians lived to falsify history. So this comes from um, someone who was like my grandfather. (laughs) This is I I might be misremembering the exact circumstances. It feels, but the point is correct that that someone much much later said that allegedly someone that they were related to or something saw this happen, and they wrote about it in this like you know. Uh, it was like a century later, you know, basically, you know, history of of the American Revolution in a very kind of rosy Victorian light. Um, and they made this claim as if it was this firsthand account. Um, it's not a firsthand account. That is that is not to say that there's no way this could have ever happened. We don't know. Like, maybe it did happen. But this account that this story comes from was made up. Um, and I think that that's a huge red flag that this author put this anecdote in there as if it happened, because there's any kind of surface level research into this topic will tell you like that is some Victorian drivel. It really (laughs) reads like Longfellow, right? Like Longfellow was big on those romantic falsifications of historic Mm -hmm. figures. It's 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 extremely saccharine. It's extremely mythologized, and I don't like it. Like, there's a lot of actual firsthand accounts of people saying, like, yeah, George Washington was a great guy. He loved his wife. He was very dedicated to the army. He cared a lot about his men. Great. Allegedly, he was even pretty good to his slaves. He still had slaves, though. Yes, yes, yes. Um, he might have even been fairly religious. I don't remember Actually, exactly. No, he's not. In I fact, mean, a lot of people from this the era, other book. Okay, yeah. Please. They describe George Washington as not being fairly religious. Okay. Um, and of course, I didn't think to highlight that section. That's coming back to me though, like that he like he wasn't particularly religious. This is just like we. There's a lot of arguments about. America as a Christian nation. Were the pilgrims very religious? Yes. 
were most so people at have this anything to do with modern America? Yes. Well, <laughs> tragically, Culturally, yes, because they yes. wrote so much. Um, but but the founding fathers, uh, yes, they were culturally religious in that, like everyone from Europe was culturally Christian. Yeah. From I mean, except unless you were Jewish, right? Like, but those if were an extreme minority. Late, the 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 late. If I can quote Josh Lyman, uh, at one point. <laughs> I'm going to treat him like a real person because they're real to me. <laughs> and he's dead. <laughs> right. Just for a second. Uh, I was really going for the great Josh Lyman. Yes. He's talking to a gay senator who won't vote for a gay rights bill. Mm-hmm. And he's uh, he's like, well, the founding fathers wanted it to be a Judeo-Christian nation. And Josh Lyman turns around and says, the founding fathers didn't want religion within a mile of, of American law of the government. Mm-hmm. And I, I think I... I think historic documents support that ideal more than, oh, this is a Judeo-Christian nation. Well, because they're also reacting to their, the English system where the head of state is also the head of the church. Yes. And they specifically set it up to not want a monarchy. And I think by extension, not want a single person to be in charge of the church and have a national church. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Anyway, so the Founding Fathers are extremely fallible. Um, a lot of them owned people. A lot of them were not nearly as religious as people like to think that they were. And I don't think religion is an inherent value. In no. fact, I think it causes more problems than not. Yeah. However, in this country, in these days, it is often seen as a shorthand for being a good person. Yeah. When in fact, I find the opposite to be true. Yeah, well, we can we can argue about that I know, all day, and that's my personal prejudice, and I, I, and there I'm, is no right answer. Yeah. All right. Uh, so uh, on the next page, we get uh, a, a major piece in the story where Washington asks the Stuart family, and mm-hmm. especially the Stuart women specifically. Again, this war frequently runs on the work of women. Oh yeah. Uh, so anyway, they, he asks them to become. Uh, his laundresses. Yes. He's staying in the former Mrs. Hughes' home. Yes. She has Which relocated. Which still exists. Yes, it does. It's on the on the park, and you can go you can go through it, and it's all, like, set up. It's very How cool. cool is that? Yeah. I'm glad that that's one thing, America, turning our national sites into parks and preserving some of that history <sighs> Listen, is very cool. The national us. park system is incredible, and we love it. We do. We do. Um, yeah, so he wants the Stuarts to be his laundresses. And I think that's a, a fantastic literary device where, yes, this is written from the perspective of normal people, which I love. So you get a normal person's perspective, but they are given access yeah. to the rooms where important the conversations. The rooms where it happened. <laughs> the rooms where it happened, yeah. Uh, I did write here uh, when he's describing how much uh, Mr. Washington is willing to pay I wanted to know what the laundresses at Mount Vernon get paid. Oh, probably nothing. Mm. <laughs> We're going to keep harping on this. So if you don't Listen, like it, it genuinely bothers me, then, then you can just leave. I guess right. this <laughs> like, is not the podcast. For like, you. Yeah. George um, so on the next people. page, they start talking about thermometers. And I got down a little rabbit hole because I didn't know that thermometers existed in the 1770s. I didn't really either. They do. Yeah. And in fact, uh, have the mercury, uh, the, the, 
you know, closed glass tube thermometer filled uh-huh. with either a mix of alcohols or mercury that we uh, know. I'm sorry, it started with alcohol, was invented way back in 1654 by the Grand Duke of Tuscany. Wow. I know. Um, the alcohol was not accurate and there was no numbering system affixed to it. So How? they're like, it's this big. Yeah, so they were it's... like, well, it was a comparison thing. <laughs> yeah. So like, oh, the barometer, the, the temperature has risen, the barometer has risen, it's hotter today, but yeah. they didn't have numbers So it's like it. the weather ball out by your Yeah, head. exactly. I do live <laughs> weather ball red, baby. That is that is a reference just for us Grand Rapids folks. Right. <laughs> Hyper specific. <laughs> uh, so eventually, uh, Daniel Fahrenheit... <gasps> I know. In 1709, uh, started using a numbering system and mm-hmm. uh, in 1714 introduced mercury, uh, giving more accurate readings to that numbering system. Uh, notably, for our European listeners, I would like them to know that Fahrenheit. Anders Celsius, uh-huh. uh, literally, that is the name. Of course. Anders Celsius uh, developed the Celsius system uh-huh. uh, or centigrade. Uh, later in the 1700s, specifically 1742, building on the work oh. of Fahrenheit. So if you ever, and this is, by and large, I prefer the metric system to the imperial system, uh-huh. but Fahrenheit's a better measurement than <gasps> Celsius. Ooh, hot takes. That's This is my spicy take, and I really do mean it. Kate's hot takes. <laughs> um, it doesn't matter, and who cares, but Fahrenheit was measuring the temperature of the human body. Okay. He was measuring human body comfort in relation to its environment. Uh-huh. Celsius is measuring the temperature of water, hmm. yeah. how comfortable water is in a room. Yeah. And that's why the Celsius block of, because water changes temperature so slowly, mm-hmm. that's why, you know, like Americans, we can feel the difference between 76 and 72. Yeah. But in Europe, that's the same number in centigrade. Wow. Yeah, because it's a larger unit of measurement because water takes so long yeah. to also, show a difference. 100 degrees sounds way hotter than what, like 30, 40, 40, yeah. 40 degrees? Yeah. Yeah, yeah 100%. And, and so absolutely by and large i prefer the metric system but when it comes to measuring body temperature y'all need to come to us for i Fahrenheit. will say though that the freezing end of it is kind of wonky we're like 30 Zero versus 32, 32 and i think that's actually kind of what weird. made the decision yeah yeah huh just that freezing number but mm. anyway anyway <laughs> uh the next page has uh two of my favorite stories okay i think Right? No. Okay, but one of them. Uh, So, 10 teams of oxen arrived Mm. in camp. That's at least 20 oxen, possibly 40 oxen. Okay. Uh, To much noise and surprise, they had come from Philadelphia and were driven by women. Women. Hussies. Tinder. I don't think this. these are... Well, maybe they are. Yes. Oh, yes, they are. Yes, they are. Yes, they are. The wagons were filled with supplies and 2,000 shirts. Once again, women frequently do the work of war. We might not do the shooting, but mm-hmm. getting the men ready, keeping them fed, keeping them happy, mm-hmm. keeping their spirits up, that's women's work often and in you, war. And by spirits up, you mean the USO? Yes, I do. <laughs> So, for the purposes of this podcast, yes, I certainly do. They were singing Um, songs. So these were patriot ladies, (laughs) Uh, and 
as soon as they arrive, uh, Washington has their oxen killed for food yeah. and leather to make boots and supplies. Ooh, yeah. And they start dismantling the wagons in order to uh, have fires and make huts. Mm. And Sally, six-year-old Sally, with the wisdom of ages, says, How shall the women drivers get back to Philadelphia without oxen and without wagons? Papa glanced at Mama and he said, I know not. Oh, hussies. Hussies get it you know, done. You know, I didn't even think about that until just now that they're not going back. <laughs> that's my favorite part of the whole book. I was like, man, that sucks. They're going to have to walk. Yeah, <laughs> Listen, they're not going to be walking. Listen, I read this book They'll as a child. They'll be mostly laying down. And I am regressing into that. <laughs> Probably caught that line. Are we okay? Do you think no, I can get that past the censor? Yeah, go for it. All right. There's a hard cut to baths on the next on the next page, which I love. Like this is a frequent thing where it's like uh, soldiers being drummed out of the army. Baths. Um, yeah, and then it's like and baths. <laughs> yeah. So, so we start seeing increased cost to the community um, as these as these days progress into January, not only are people in need of things, but they also start seeing some of the ugly realities mm -hmm. of army life, including being drummed out, which means being effectively tossed out on your rear. Uh, and they had to like ride a horse backwards. backwards with their hands behind them and their yeah. jacket inside out. It was a humiliation. Wow. Um, so being drummed out is a so phrase that specific. we still use today. Mm -hmm. uh, so on the next page, page 28, uh, she writes at one point in time that she sees the body of a man swinging in the, wood, Ooh, in the wind. Yeah. So we're starting to see a change in how Abigail is viewing this army because she's getting some ugly realities. Mm -hmm. But on the next next page, we start discussion of uh, smallpox and how the army has taken things over. Uh, and how smallpox is just ripping through. It was a highly contagious disease, mm -hmm. much like COVID is today. And, and we have... Tell me, tell me. Um, this is your favorite thing, I think. Well, one of them. Um, so they're, re they're returning the general's laundry, so they get to be, you know, around Washington and here. Say in the room where it happened. In be, the room don't where be I... better than me. They're in um, a chamber where events are occurring. <laughs> And and so there's and there's much busyness. Um, as we were leaving, a soldier came in from the snow with a rush of icy air. He looked at, not at us, but snapped his heels and saluted to an officer standing by the fire. At ease, said the officer. Spread word that smallpox inoculations are to begin immediately by order of our commander in chief. This is our very first national vaccine mandate. Yes, it is. Uh, so this is a thing that Washington said that if you're going to be in the army, if you're going to be at camp, you have to get inoculated. To this day, uh, this inoculation program is the grounds for inoculizing the entire military to an extreme degree. Yes. If you are in the military these days, often yeah. men will line up, Yep. you know, belly to back through the barracks they have feet prints on the everyone floor everyone drop just stab them yep on each side of the butt cheek giving them every you single don't know what you're they need. they don't ask you if you want them they just say yeah, line you're up. getting them son show us your cheeks and they just stab them all right so um one of the <laughs> things that we're coming across as a problem with valley forge 
encampment is hygiene. Yes. Uh, Again, we've talked about how Papa is a cobbler. So as hides become available, uh, Washington seems to be giving them to the father so that he can make these things. And one of the hides that he brings back smells terrible, barely usable. Mm -hmm. And it's because the ground is too frozen. Remember, we killed these 40 oxen. We have all these pelts to process now, which processing pelts for leather means soaking them in series of different tanning liquids, acids sometimes. Horrible. Is not a great experience. That's a lesson to anyone who's uh, planning um, a city at this time. Yeah. Uh, Don't put your tannery anywhere near where anyone's going to live. Also, tanneries in the future, because they use such noxious chemicals, Mm -hmm. uh, the ground is unfit for human use. Wow. Uh, So there was a tannery in a city where you and I used to work. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was very, very large. It made all of the um, internal leather for Cadillac. Oh. I know. I had no idea. Well, I worked there longer than you did. Yes, you did. And you cared more. (laughs) That's also true. Uh, So they had this tannery and it ran for like close to 100 years. I think think it did have a 100-year anniversary. Mm. Um, Afterwards, when they tore down the building, they looked at turning it into different uses. And and they did use some of it, Mm -hmm. uh, some of the administrative buildings. But where the actual tanning went on yeah uh they had to turn into an rv park they paved it over and turned it into an rv park cute sensible yeah so hygiene is a continuous problem yes, it uh, is. hygiene they the word that they use is necessaries mm-hmm. and that means uh pit latrines so yes. uh porta potties basically but not portable. basically just trenches yeah Designated. really no like place to sit Mm-mm. oh well sometimes yeah they, sometimes they would build like an outhouse with okay thing. yes but like a lot of the times for you know number onesies you're just right because this is a men's you're world. going out in the open well so we're continuing another uh discussion of cost to the community in the following paragraph uh where we discover that some uh families items are mm-hmm. being stolen by soldiers who are deserting oh yeah um he discovered three soldiers in his barn stealing hay and lumber and he puts his uh, face in his hands and says how shall i feed my horses or mend my roof things are going to get quite quite dire mm-hmm. um and again on the following page we get some washington mythos but also an issue of hygiene again mm. we've got soldiers walking leaving bloody um stealing things and leaving bloody footprints in the snow um uh we make abigail makes sally a little doll and sally had been playing with it in the hayloft uh but and she had left it there overnight in a little house of hay that she had made oh yeah and someone had clearly slept there and not cleaned up after their necessary which means that they had defecated i believe Mm, in this barn hay Uh, and stepped on the doll while they were doing it. Um, So, like, again, this hygiene, these men are untrained. They do not know about taking care of themselves and others. Uh, So it's just, you know, it's just a disaster at first. just, like, I I was just also looking through these couple pages, and Mm -hmm. there's, like, three or four mentions of bloody footprints. I know. Again, this author's a little heavy-handed. Yeah. I feel like Catherine Lasky was 
perhaps less engaging. Yeah. Um, but a little bit more academic. Yeah. However, I'm overall enjoying this book more. Interesting. Um, maybe just because I like a good story. I mean, it's very evocative for sure. It certainly is. <laughs> Um, I did want to highlight something here. Uh, Mrs. Hughes is talking about uh, the people who are being court-martialed for Mm -hmm. being caught for deserting the army. And she says, it's the foreign-born, mostly, Mrs. Hughes told us. They have not the same loyalty as those of us born here on American soil. I don't know. Okay. Who would that be? Because it wasn't George Washington. I know. You want to talk about the loyalty? George Washington was not born in this country. That's what, something I wonder is like, did they distinguish between, I mean, I guess a little bit because they would like, I know, you know, Alexander Hamilton was born in the Caribbean. Right. And, and they, they were like him a foreigner. Yeah. But it's like, when did where were all your grandparents from? Right. So I I I wrote nice D A R attitude, Mrs. Hughes. So first off, the D A R are the daughters of the American Revolution, and today, they are a very civic minded, um, charitable group that does a lot of good. Mm -hmm. However. The premise of their starting uh-huh. uh, was in the, I think, mid, like after the Civil War. Yeah. So like late 1800s. That tracks. And uh, there was a lot of citizens coming from Europe at that point in time. It was a of, new wave of immigration. Yeah. yeah, huge. And it was a way to be prejudiced. So the Daughters of the American Revolution, their whole mm-hmm. thing is that you can trace your familial line. It's yeah. like signed and notated uh, that you had a forefather who was involved in the American Revolution. Oh, yeah. It's <clears throat> it's where we get the kind of like East Coast waspy, like, yes. I'm better than you. I'm a blue blood. I've My family's been here for generations. Exactly. And attitude. that's what Mrs. Hughes is showing us. Now, again, uh, there are some DAR chapters that are still kind of a little bit like that. We see that referenced in shows like Gilmore Girls. yeah. But uh, I I don't want to just criticize them outright because I do think they do good work. Uh, I love a charity. I love a civic charity. Uh, However, that idea of, oh, they're not not as loyal as us. How dare you say they're not as loyal as George Washington, who was or like they're, you know, like that George Washington is not as loyal because he's not born here. Yeah. You know, Alexander Hamilton. It's very xenophobic. It's it turns into like you see that attitude a lot with like outright racism and yes. stuff where it's just like these people are different they're not as loyal they're not they're from not here. they're not as hard working right. they're stealing our job like it's yeah it's it's, it's i got no time for it it's bad so i was kind of disappointed in mrs hughes there although for the most part we don't see a whole lot of ugliness in this book mm-hmm um, I do like how often Abigail talks about what they're eating and what they're cooking. I was I, I care about that. I made a note. Oh, I was like, there's another recipe. I was like, Kate's loving this. <laughs> Which page? There, she's making the previous page, um, January 22nd. Uh, you know, she stays by the fire all day and made onion soup for supper. Uh, Mama has write, asked me to write down instructions. So here they are. 
To the small pot, I added four large onions, sliced, two quarts of milk, two large scoops of butter, salt, and pepper. When it came to a boil, I eased the pot to the side of the coals so it would cook slowly until the onions were soft. In my teacup, I beat one egg, spooned in a bit of hot soup, spooned a bit of hot soup into it, beat it some more, and poured it back into the pot. To make it thick. She, yeah. she did egg tempering to make it thick, yes. which a lot of people still use today. Uh, if you ever make uh, chicken and wild rice soup, that's a very common way to thicken chicken and wild rice soup. Oh, with the egg? Yeah, with the egg. Well, egg and then tempering. I love on the next page. Um, You're right. Kate was loving that. Yes. The aroma for the next hour was wonderful. Sally was so pleased with herself when Mama served it with butter for afternoon tea that she announced she's ready to get married. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was cute, too. Yeah. Can I tell you, as soon as I read that, I was like, oh, I could probably make that soup. I'm pretty oh, sure I could make that. I kind of want to try. Well, it's just, it's cream of onion soup. It would be super easy. Mm, that sounds um, really good. Cream soups are super, super easy to make by and large. Um, also, when we were reading about Sally making bread, I was mm. this close to taking down my bread maker. Uh, I did not do it because yeah. I'm not allowed to eat carbs right now. Yeah. However. Yeah, that sounds really good. Right. Just because I got it, it, as soon as I get the kidney. Yeah. Bread, baby. <laughs> so much bread. It's bread. <laughs> Okay. All right. All right. Now, I loved this next section where we go into Philadelphia. <gasps> We've yes. decided to go to our family. Uh, mm-hmm. They're all stuck in Philadelphia. We're going to bring as many who will come to the country because with all those red coats, it can't be safe. Yeah. Can I say that this uh, section reminded me so much of the show that we've both watched? In Outlander. Love. No. Turn. Oh, okay. Yes, I also thought of Turn. Yes, I, love I was like, "Where is Peggy Shippen?" Let's just let me let me see. There's a short kick. Yeah, Jamie Bell. Mm-hmm. I'm into it. Yeah. Anyway, that was a Sorry. great show. A lot of people, a lot of historical snobs, don't like it. It's um, popular, history. and I understand why, but I don't care. I like it. It's yeah. fun. Yeah. And you know what? The history is accurate. The Secret of Washington Spies is a pretty well-researched it's, book. It's a fun look also, at... J.J. Field. Yeah. Hey, what, do you know who J.J. Field is? What, Real quick. what, what, what he is? <laughs> do you know what J.J. Field is? Just trust me that little braid he has <laughs> sorry oh that was an unexpected noise where did oh that my come from god heavens to betsy heavens my to betsy indeed goodness. i do love a, a you well, would a well you would be man. a hussy for oh for that oh, 100%. if you think i wasn't leading the oxen train wagons ho baby yeah, but you'd be like Forget these poor, raggedy Continental soldiers. You'd be that high-class <laughs> traitor. Listen. <laughs> Listen. If it was J.J. Field, yes, I would. Yeah. Yes, I would. Make no mistakes. And maybe... You I know. Would... Look. Look. But he has his moment. In, yeah. in Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris, he's pretty great. Mm, yeah. Have you seen um, that yet? Did we watch it together? No, I haven't seen oh, it. We should probably watch it. I own okay. it. Let's watch it. Um... Yeah, so there's... Sorry, I was thinking about just being a, brief, a wagon hussy. brief detour into a wagon hussy. Aren't we all wagon hussies? <laughs> Load them up. Load them out. Let's get these shirts. Seriously. Like, Is that why you're learning how to sew? No. <laughs> it's because I'm always cold and I want more blankets. More blankets. Yeah. And also, I don't like... I can't wear... I'm a professional adult person, so I can't wear t-shirts anymore. Mm. My t-shirts must go somewhere. Yeah. So they're becoming a quilt. Yeah. Okay. So we are in 
we're into Philadelphia. We're going to go save. We're seeing the sights. We're we're going to go see our family. Mm-hmm. Um, and- but this is also fun because we get uh, she we get some opinions. We get some judgments. Some yeah, hard judgments. Abby's a judger. She's a she real is judger. arguably more judgy than Mem, but, which is surprising because Mem was a pilgrim. Yes. Um, but but Mem above all judged herself. That's true. Um, but she also that but also that girl that she didn't like. Yeah. But what was but, her name? Feathernose or was something? Her nose. Air was nose. Air nose. Air nose. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. So but she's describing Philly and and how surprised she is at the difference between Valley Forge and Philadelphia. So yeah. she she writes. Uh, uh, um, Philadelphia streets are paved in the middle for carriages with a footpath of hard brick on each side. Sidewalks. Uh, cobblestones are bumpy, but much easier on our poor wagon. Everything seemed new and wondrous as I'd not been here since I was a small, since I was small about Sally's age. Uh, Lucy and I stared with delight at houses with lace curtains and painted shutters, outdoor lamps to light the way, and tall carriages drawn by matching horses. And there were ladies in fine dresses with velvet cloaks and It's bonnets. almost like the war hasn't touched Philadelphia. And that's the point that she makes is that she's like, how are they living in such luxury when... It's almost like everything's always sunny in Philadelphia. <laughs> now she does go with her cousin lucy lucy is also a young girl Mm -hmm. uh who doesn't live in the same house as mem but they grew up with each other not you keep saying mem oh i right abigail sorry (laughs) this is gonna be really hard the more books we read (laughs) lucy gloria i don't know who are we on who are we on what's what's going on anyway so the thing is is they never say their own names because like because it's written from their perspective right exactly uh so lucy sells her hair and that's where i wrote lucy equals lydia bennett i have so many oh tell me tell me all of your thoughts um i think lucy equals um joe march <laughs> oh yeah well that's a direct line yeah joe you're, although joe your hair your one beauty i use that line does all she time. do that in secret she does do that in secret yeah you're she right. just goes off and cuts yeah, her hair well, and sells it um so yeah we're you know they're kind of a big theme of this section is how the people of philadelphia are supporting either overtly or just as a you know coincidence of, of yeah there's manner supporting... of business 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 how do you say that word <clears throat> business there we go business um how they're supporting the british army because the british army is quartered there and so anyone who's... and also the british army pay what gold yeah they pay in coin they pay in coin uh, not necessarily gold they had different well yeah <laughs> currencies but yeah gold it was backed, backed by gold yeah gold backed money uh that so had like worth something. for sure yeah it was yeah. worth something and so some of these merchants are you know they know exactly what they're doing some of them are loyalists i presume yes and some of them are just you know they're like they gotta make money they gotta earn a living abigail and is shocked that abigail her family would sell shocked yeah because they 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 go to their family they ask hey do you want to come with us to the country and they're like no, no things are <laughs> we fine don't here. thank you actually because we make money here and she you know uh they sell bread to the british commander he's uh they're they're so mad uh, yeah. <laughs> and so and and they you know the next day they're they're out and about again um and da, 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 da. oh and they they go they pass a wig maker 
Um, and they really get sneery about wigs. They get real wigs, high and mighty about the wigs. Wigs are a clear um, status symbol. Yeah, to very them. French court. Yeah, and so that's another mark in favor of George Washington is that he doesn't wear a wig because wigs are symbols of wealth and frivolity and fashion and foppishness whereas george washington has his own long hair and so he's although he does powder it and once again a slave powders it for him yeah 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 for sure i can't imagine a higher form of class (laughs) yeah than to own a human i know yeah it's like oh he's so modest and spartan meanwhile he is has the wealthiest uh slave estate in the country (sighs) so lucy uh so so abigail is looking at ribbons um and i was admiring ribbons in his front window i heard the sound of scissors before i could say a word lucy had allowed this stranger to cut off her beautiful brown hair for nine shillings i could speak not an english officer might be the next customer so there's a lot of judging here yeah um but i wrote honestly smart because yeah here's a chance back and you're getting like you're it costs her nothing mm-hmm. to grow her hair literally literally this is a laden income yeah and actually selling hair is still a thing today mm-hmm. wig, definitely a really great way are for people to make money thing, and human Absolutely. hair is yeah the uh, the ideal yeah um but she's so it's like this free resource that she has and it goes to like yeah, an Englishman might be the next customer, but it's a wig. It's not going to, like, feed the army. Right. Um, so yeah. what is the harm here? <laughs> and she gets real money out of it. But it's, it's British morally money. money. And remember, but, if but you she's were taking, caught... Arguably, she's taking that money out of the hands of the British. And I appreciate that. But at the same time, one of the things that they were concerned about early in this book is mm-hmm. uh, people going to and for- forth might be yeah. mistaken as spies. Yeah. And one of the ways that the documentary... I watched two documentaries yesterday. Yeah. They were both by the National Park Service. Yeah. It was the um, previous Visitor Center video and the current one. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. so I watched the original and it was it was very well made. Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely dated. It was clearly from the 80s. For sure. But... Um, it was uh, it gave some information on people who were caught with British money were assumed to be spies mm-hmm. and having dealings with the British. If you were caught in Valley Forge with that, oh, it could be that very could dangerous. Have very dangerous. Yeah, but Lucy probably doesn't know that, right? Because she's, she's a nine-year-old to child. Yeah, get money for a family. Honestly, I think she's incredibly smart. Um, but yeah, Lucy is just so willful and headstrong that she just, you know, she's like, I don't care. I'm doing this. Right. Um, and then she's like, it'll be days before Papa finds out. And by then he shall be so pleased to have the silver coin. It will matter not. And yeah, it's like, I think that's completely practical. I did the same thing. Yeah. But and then you find out how hypocritical Abigail is because a paragraph or two later, she writes, now to confess my deed, I see no harm, truly. I delivered rum cakes and strudel to the British general. <laughs> like, and she has a little tete-a-tete. She talks to them. Yeah. She observes them. She even meets Mrs. Loring, his mistress, who also yeah. comes up in my other Valley Forge book. Um, so. Yeah, she, yeah she, she goes and she delivers it just to, like, see what they're doing. And she doesn't even get any money out of it. Like, at least oh, Lucy yeah. got paid. Right. And you're sitting there judging her. Meanwhile, you're like, I just want to go see. <laughs> so there's a note here again. Remember, my one of my focuses is the cost to the Valley Forge community. 
Uh, and she says, now that I'm home again, I've decided not to be so angry at our soldiers when they take things from us. Our enemies, 20,000, Papa says, are sleeping in warm feather beds, eating sweets and playing cards while General Washington holds his men together with threads. Mm-hmm. Um, I also do want to note that I got a little uh, grumpus. Yeah. Uh, we are talking about uh, General Billy, mm. um, Sir General, General Sir William Howe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as... Abigail is describing them. My God, our girl is fat phobic. She's using it as a shorthand for being, you know, sloth like and lazy. And I think, too, like if you think of like political cartoons and stuff like that is a very shorthand way of like, yes, they here are these British officers. They have. You know, it's gluttony. It's the sin of gluttony and greed. And so like that's just that short versus the the you know underfed undernourished yeah continental starving army. to death continental army yeah yeah absolutely so yeah it's uh it's it's a bad shorthand but it's one that's very common at that time yes. and like absolutely yeah. it's still common today yeah absolutely it is once again one of the reasons i had to have a surgery in order to earn a kidney yep There's what a concept definitely um uh, moral connotations to people's body sizes. That Speaking sucks. of body judgments, well, oh, yeah. Uh, on our following page, February fourth, um, Mrs. Washington has come to Ooh. town, or at least she's on her way. And Elizabeth finds somebody to give her first bounty coat yeah, to. I, I can tell. Like I, I read this over several readings because I made another. Oh, it's like Lydia Bennett. Like, <laughs> yeah, I can't get her out of my head. That's all right. The Bennets are iconic. Uh, so uh, Elizabeth gives a soldier on duty his coat. He grabs it quickly and slipped his thin arms oh, into the sleeves. Yeah. When he thanked her, she saw he was missing his top teeth and spoke with a coarse accent. After we climbed the stairs to bed, she burst into sobs. Oh, Abby, I'm so ashamed of myself, she wept. Mm-hmm. But I wanted a handsome soldier, truly. Yes. Homegirl is not down and out, though. She's just going to make another coat. Yes. Yes. You got to swipe right and keep going. But, you know, I mean, she's like, Abigail's like, my thought was that two good things happened. A cold soldier was made warm and he thanked her. And I was like, okay, we get it. You're better than all of us. Right, like, right, right. <laughs> little judgy, little judgy. Let's actually use that as an opportunity to jump to the second part. Because after that, all that happens is they go around with Washington and she breaks up her cloak. Well, Martha to comes it. to town. Right, yeah. We kind of skip We have over to talk that. about Martha briefly. Well, okay, because the page before, you know, it's when, you know, she comes or they're talking about coming to town and they ask the Stewart family if they can help get furniture for her. Yeah. And my thought was, this is the richest woman in the colonies. You're asking this community of people, people who have nothing, who have, nothing, who have given you well. everything they have. To, like, can you also give us some furniture? And like, I mean, you, like, make it look nice. Just like use used, your womenly wiles. She's used to a certain lifestyle. Yes. Uh, 100% that's what's happening. And I really expected based on that to dislike Martha Washington. Yeah. But then she arrives and she's very sweet and charming. She's, yeah. However, uh, George's birthday comes. Oh, uh, that, yeah. That yeah, was, did that grind your gears as well? That one made me mad, too. So Martha decides to make this grand cake yes. for her husband. 
at this camp that has nothing. And the recipe for the cake, hold on while I find it. Yeah, we're skipping forward. Yeah, we're skipping ahead a little a bit. Pages. Martha shows attention to those Stuart girls. She takes them around. She shows them the camp. She does she do like a lot them. of charity work for the yes, soldiers. Blah, she blah, blah. is not bad. Um, not however, bad. she does decide that Mr. Washington's under things are looking a little too dingy. Oh, yeah. And could the girls please start using bleach? Which uh, bleach is there wasn't rubber gloves back then. Well, so these girls and are they're using not bleach. Well, but they're, using they're using urine. So, yes, urine is ammonia. Yeah. And so household bleach, as we know, it didn't come into being uh, until 1787. I okay. had to Google it. Oh, I was interested. Uh, so that's sodium hypochlorite. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it wasn't used. At, they discovered, uh, Louis Pasteur discovered that it was used for disinfectant. Interesting. Uh, and so it started to be used for disinfectant from that time forward. But again, 1787, mm-hmm. sodium hydrochloride, it does not exist yet. So I think in this case, the author is using a shorthand for doing the bleaching process. Yeah. Could you please use the bleaching process? Yeah, yeah, Instead yeah. of okay. bleach, like the Clorox jug we know. Yeah, yeah. Um, bleach and ammonia are very closely related. Ammonia does work uh, if you soak stale urine uh, for things that you want to be white. That's it gross. will certainly work. That's gross. Yep. Uh, it also sets dye. Huh. Uh, so that that's what they're using. Um, oh, one of my personal interest shows up february 19th general wayne for whom you know fort wayne indiana okay. uh, wayne county michigan remember the story of mad dog anthony wayne who died of gout sure in yeah oh yeah ohio yeah. and mm-hmm. we lost his bones on the way home that's a whole other story that's, there's a yeah. whole other podcast People, about that look that up if you want yeah <laughs> Um, so Miss Washington has taken the girls around and unfortunately she takes them to the surgical tents. Yeah. Uh, where we see a trough where the dogs just won't leave the trough alone. Mm. And they grab something that looks like a small log and it turns out it's human hands and feet. Yeah, that there's have a to be whole lot removed. of body horror in this. Yeah, I was very shocked uh, under the under the watchful eye of washington's wife mm-hmm. but um here's the thing that ground my gears was this cake yeah her recipe calls for 40 eggs yeah 40 so remember, eggs we've already given up all of our grain or half yeah. of our grain at this point in time yeah we meet the chef her name is oni yeah uh, and somehow Uni is uh do you know enslaved person I think. right definitely an enslaved person <laughs> um the first welcome documentary that i walked Mm -hmm. said that by the end of the war i think the facsimile person Mm -hmm. because it wasn't the same name okay uh but that mrs washington had brought yeah they they mention a specific person in both documentaries and it's not oni but it's not uh but i think we can call it a facsimile that person had eventually earned their freedom by the end of the war Mm -hmm. which means that at this time she is not a free person however she is standing on free soil yeah. Which is a huge problem uh, in the United States until 1850 with the Fugitive Slave Law of 1850. Yeah. It used to be that if a slave made it across the Ohio River and stepped onto free soil, they were free. Mm-hmm. Following the Fugitive Slave Law of 1850, uh, they had to make it to Canada in order to be free. Mm-hmm. So that's why Detroit, it wasn't good enough to get to Michigan. You had to get to Detroit and get across 
the Detroit River to Canada in order to earn your freedom. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you could be taken back. Yeah. yeah. So I wrote here um, that they had eventually found 42 eggs for Mrs. Washington's cake. And I wrote, how is this better than the excess of the British? Mm-hmm. And I just, like, it really ground my gears, although I do appreciate... That they mm-hmm. did save some cake for the girls. Yeah. Yep. Um, they well, there's, there's some the... real juxtaposition, I think. Like, And I think that's what what caught both of our eye was that it goes from amputations in the surgical tent, you know, up close body horror of seeing gangrenous limbs and, you know, horrible suffering um, to, oh, it's his birthday. They're having a grand dinner together. Here's 40 eggs, four pounds of butter. We found you, know, you 42 eggs and you can't get up from dinner to come say hi to us. Yes. Five, you know, four pounds of sugar, blah, 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 all that stuff. And then, you know, they're they're having dinner. They're dancing, blah, 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 surrounded by this camp full of suffering and horror. And like they did clearly care for the soldiers, but they also had them a good time. <laughs> so she does give her recipe. Um, which Abigail writes down, but does not uh, remember how it's put together. And and I wrote for that, I assume it's because they have an actual archival note of like the ingredients of this cake, but probably not the instructions. Right. Although, in fact, cake is pretty easy to put together. You always have to cream butter and sugar well, first and then add eggs. Yes. But maybe she didn't want to do that work. Right. But there's um, a kind of infamous <laughs> children's book that was written recently on, I think, the same topic. Um, that's called like it it's something about like a cake for Washington or something and it's about the enslaved chef uh you know cook making this making this cake Rand, for, let's find for that Washington but it's in a very like we're so happy to bake this cake for oh, it's for master Washington it. oh no 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 and it and has, it was written recently it was written recently and Blech. it's been kind of lambasted uh, as this kind of horribly like well I do want to share the recipe just because it's kind of wild okay. how much goes into it okay. forty eggs yeah. four zero friends yeah, that's a lot four pounds of butter uh-huh. that is four packages that is 16 sticks of butter yeah it's four pounds of powdered sugar imagine this cake is like wedding yes, cake it would size. have to have been huge five pounds of flour uh-huh. five pounds of fruit mace and nutmeg wine and some fresh brandy now that would have been for the fruit doubtless the fruit would have been dried fruit oh like yeah and soaked stuff. in you would have soaked it exactly mm-hmm. so it would have been usable um and then we're pretty much where i want to stop for this episode because we meet a new friend the mm. next day and his name is very baron von steuben baron von steuben one of my favorite people so interesting. Yeah. What an interesting character. I can't wait to get into more about him in the next episode. Yeah. I'm s- we've got it. I, we might have to start doing three episodes per book because I mean, this is really long. I really, I swear on God, I really tried to like not just go page to page. And I was like, but let's we absolutely make could. things. And uh, yeah, so we, uh, there might be a slight change into the format already. Right. Because we'll play with it. We don't want to rush this, um, but I'm so excited to get to the second half of this book. Um, we are uh, 
kind of batch recording these episodes way ahead of time so i feel like there's there are hopefully fun things happening in in the community of listeners that we are creating uh that we are not acknowledging right now and that's because we just released the trailer the we're other day. in the past we're in the past and so i'm gonna put out another call for if you want to submit to us your diary entries from your youth uh, we would love to see them uh, email uh, them to us uh, or the email in the description. Hang out with us online. We would be happy to hear from you. I'm sure we'll be starting a Facebook group soonish. Yes. So we would love to hear from you. Um, we are so excited to get this show started and finally release it to the world. Get this what started? Get this show started. Thank you. Is it's what I said. W, baby. Uh, and... If you would uh, be so kind as to leave us a, f- a five-star review, I'm going to go out and say it. Uh, right. If you want, Shop for what you want, baby. If you want to give us less stars, maybe you don't have to. Uh, right. What <laughs> if five stars was great? What if you just left That us would feel good for us. Both on iTunes and Spotify. Um, we would love that. That would be very helpful for us. Um, so, yeah, we'd, we're, we're excited to be finally releasing this show onto the world um, and excited to get to the next part in this book. Amen. Um, what a great book i'm excited to read more about it yes huge thanks to danny sound engineer and editor Uh, thank you to chelsea tannis for our cover art thank you to all of our other helpers our music art our music composer hold on uh special thanks to the erica page for our intro and outro music and to callie cherry for research done uh in order to find us the right books to read for side reading huzzah huzzah indeed uh all right well we'll see you next time until then, keep reading. That's what you said in one episode, and we, I don't know, we're still workshopping it. Right. Did I say that? Good you, for me. You said it once. Uh, actually, genuinely, yeah. Until then, keep reading. Yeah. We got another, we got a whole other half of this book, and I'm literally only three chapters into my Valley Forge book, yeah. so I got some work to do. Thank you. Okay, bye. All right. Out. <laughs>